Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. In today's episode, we're welcoming one of the UK's leading nutritionists, Rhiannon Lambert, who's also known as Retrition to her Insta fans, who's going deep on a topic close to my heart and, well, I mean, who am I kidding? Stomach and brain too. It's all about how we think about food impacting our mental health. I mentioned this in our our newsletter on Sunday and had quite a lot of people responding thanking me for actually admitting it, but, uh, you know, I'm someone who grew up fat and had a lot of profound impacts on my mental health, my confidence, my body image, you know, to the point where I eventually when I ended up losing weight and people were commenting saying that I was skinny, that wasn't what I would see. And instead I just continue to lose the weight and in, like even unintentionally. So even after the point where I was like, right, I don't you know need to do that any longer. I was just still doing it because I psychologically wasn't able to understand really what a healthy portion was or how much I needed to eat. It all sort of changed. And, you know, it got so bad that I ended up having to go to Harley Street. I went to see like a whole bunch of different um, specialists because I couldn't keep my food down for a period of time and I wasn't forcing myself to be sick. So I didn't actually have bulimia by any diagnosable measure because I wasn't forcing myself to do it. But whenever I went to the doctors, they weren't able to diagnose me with anything other than a psychological problem. So it was really interesting. I had, you know, cameras down my stomach and everything. And every single time, you know, they were like, there's literally nothing wrong with you physically. But mentally, there's something that is that's causing you to have a problem physically, which is really fascinating. Now, this is quite a few years ago, but, you know, it was over a quite a reasonable period of time from about 18 to 25. And it's a really it's a really good example of how like the psychological scars of sort of growing up insecure as a teenager then bear fruit in your 20s. And, you know, now I have a much more reasonable relationship with, uh, you know, with mental health and with food, but still totally ingrained from my childhood. You know, there's a lot of that in a talk. So I think where I'd like to start this conversation really is, like I said, you know, I'm a man, people see me as confident, and there wasn't any Instagram when this was happening. So how bad do you think that this actually is in society? And how can we do something about it? I actually fear it's just getting worse. And I just want to say thank you, because for a man to share his experiences in that way is not common. Um, You get, thankfully, lots of women are very open now about their relationships with food and the experiences they experience with body image growing up. But it almost seems taboo for men to experience body image problems or or feelings, you know. It's almost as if men are seen to be devoid of feeling altogether, which, which makes the problem even worse. So, yes, I think the introduction of social media has made everything worse, if I'm being honest. And we also have an obesity epidemic and we have more people growing up of larger body sizes and shapes and they will be experiencing more health um, concerns. One in three children are now obese. Um, We've got measurements in the schools potentially being introduced everywhere with weighing children in schools, which is going to have a huge psychological impact on, on a child regardless of not of if it's private or not it's still a big deal to put a child on a scales I don't believe that's 
in my opinion. I know, I know there's, I can see both sides, but I don't think that's the answer. It's just going to get worse, unfortunately. And I think a lot needs to be done in this area. And that's why in public health nutrition, everybody's still arguing and undecided on how to help with this sort of problem. What do you think we can do about it? Are there like practical initiatives you're aware of? Are there things that you've been involved in? So a few things sprang to mind. Um, I've been very fortunate to speak to other other men in your situation, quite high profile, like Gary Barlow has had problems with his weight and I got to interview and discuss that with him. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan is the same, who's our world um, champion snooker player. I'm his nutritionist and we've we've discussed heavily his relationship with food. And one thing that I think has been a common theme throughout is that they all eventually spoke about it. So I think instead of making jokes across a dinner table, and it's ingrained, unfortunately, in families, you know, Piggy, you've got your second helping or your third helping, you know, all those kind of remarks and comments. It's the language that we use to one another that needs to be reprogrammed. But we need to get that down to the bottom, need to be filtrated through to the very bottom level. And we almost need to start all over again. But it's so ingrained in cultures and societies. So language is tackling barrier number one. Government initiatives should be seen as just government initiatives. It will help. They need to do a lot. But so do the people that market products. So do manufacturers with their products. So do the individuals. Everybody needs to take a bit of responsibility. So the answer is not to fob it off to the, the government or the teachers or the nutritionists or the parents. It's everybody that needs to help one another. And maybe I'm living in this dream world of ideology here where I'm thinking if everybody just spoke kindly to one another. But that's, I think that's what it's going to take, if I'm being honest, to help people. So obviously, you know, mental health and nutrition is a massive topic and you know it ranges from all over right so you know I've just talked about you know um, where it stems from in childhood experience etc and then has a, a manifestation in your physical health as well but obviously mental health relationship with food also stems from foods that you eat when you feel bad like we talked about guilt-free also on the positive side so the things that we can eat to actually impact our, our sense of mental well-being on a day-to-day yeah, I, I love this. Let's talk about what we can put in rather than the takeout and something that we can all do. So starting, and it may sound like a boring, broken record, but having a balanced plate is so important because your brain has a blood-brain barrier where only um, carbohydrates can get through. So it naturally wants to use carbs as its first fuel of energy, which is actually why there's quite a bit of debate out there with different people arguing different types of diets being more beneficial and um, But the science is that your body prefers glucose, which is the natural molecule of carbohydrate. Um, You need glucose to go with protein to get it through that blood-brain barrier. If you combine these two items at every meal, you're going to help that serotonin production, which is that happy hormone we discussed earlier. That's extremely important. You're going to help the absorption of all the nutrients in the food you eat if you have a bit of healthy fat on your plate. And when I say healthy, I'm using that word rather than the good fats because every fat has a place, but it's the monounsaturated fatty acids and the polyunsaturated fatty acids, otherwise known as omega-3s and things you find in nuts, seeds, avocado, oily fish. Olive oil is the one thing that you want to be using. That aids the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, vitamins A, D, E, and K. So if you're getting lots of colour on your plate, but you're not adding any fat 
you're not going to be absorbing the full amount of nutrition you could do. If you're just eating protein and greens, you're not going to be getting a lot of that helpful tyrosine amino acid or tryptophan, which makes serotonin. So without this kind of wonderful cog of wheels that it just works, you know, this, these cogs are there to make the wheel go round. If you take one out, something's going to give. And my philosophy with nutrition really is try and always think of that. And if you're not sure what to do, a palm-sized portion of protein, one handful of carbs is often a good portion guide. And this is very rough and individual. As much veg as you kind of want or fruit, just two handfuls. And then a thumb-sized portion of healthy fat, which is like your drizzle of olive oil or one tablespoon. That's the best way to kind of think, this is what I'm going to eat. Colour, colour, lean proteins, whole grains, lots of fibre, Fibre feeds the gut bacteria, helps the gut flourish, helps those signals go back up to the brain. Do you suggest diet and nutrition to your clients for their mental well-being? Does that particularly come up as a thing? Yeah, sometimes I get people coming into the clinic that just want to feel better every day and they think their diet's stopping them. And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, it it kind of is. Um, It can have a huge impact on how you feel every single day. If you are malnourished, that's way more dangerous than any bad food you can eat in your diet. You need, I mean, if you don't get enough iron, for instance, you can feel so lethargic and anemia is so common in the UK. There's two types, which people don't often know. They just think of iron, but there's also B12 anemia. And now we've got a rise in plant-based eating and veganism, which is great. And it's a personal choice. I never judge anyone for their food choices. I'm just here to help them optimize them. If you want to do that, you have to make sure you're supplementing or you're getting the B12 because you'll you'll run the risk of becoming deficient. Well, and quite often DHA omega-3s as well, right? Because I think that's the other misconception is people are like, well, I can get that in flaxseed. You're like, well, not if you look at how much flaxseed you have to eat. And how bioavailable it is in the body. So it actually takes a lot longer for... Um, So it's called alpha-linoic acid, ALA, which is the healthy fat found in plant-based sources. It takes a lot longer to convert that in the body to the DHA that you get from things like oily fish originally anyway, in large amounts. But the oily fish get it in the sea from eating the algae. algae, Yeah, Yeah, precisely. I think this is where some cultures that are most heavily researched, the Japanese cultures and um, the Mediterranean diet, they're the two diets in the world. Actually, no, there are now three, the Nordic as well, but all of them incorporate a lot of this healthy fat we know healthy fats are so important. How much of our mental health, both positive and negative, do you think is connected to what and how we eat? I think a large chunk of it is not just connected to what. It's more why and how. It's the association we've got with it, how we feel around it, the relationship we've built. I described it as a food world earlier, and I also like to call it um, a food script. It's like a play, a play of your life with all the different experiences and how you've, how you've turned to alcohol or food or journeyed through. That's what impacts your mental health more than eating too much sugar every day, if that makes sense. Um, It's not the item itself. It's everything about the item. It's the society, the environment, the body type, the relationship, the activity that all feeds in and works together with food. So it's too complex to simply say one item you put in will impact your mental health. It's the overall picture. What would you suggest for people who might still be struggling with anxiety or guilt around the food that they eat? And perhaps for anyone that, you know, has a loved one that they know that struggles with it, how might they help them and encourage them to have better mental behaviours towards food? 
I think it's having that conversation is the first step as always being kind to yourself, identifying how big the problem is. There's lots of resources out there like Beat the Charity for Eating Disorders if it is serious here. And there's a page on for carers on their website on how to go about that conversation because it's so hard. Food is so personal. How do you suddenly sit down with a friend and say, hey, I think you might have a the problem here, how can I help? It's so personal. So it's it's identifying that, first of all. Um, there's lots of self-help tools out there. If you want to work through um, any of the things I've discussed today in my book, Renourish a Simple Way to Eat Well, I have a whole chapter called The Food Clinic because not everyone has access to a nutritionist. It's, it's, it's expensive. It's not something that's on the NHS enough at the moment. And that talks you through a different body image test, food diary work, how to be kind to yourself, how to talk to yourself differently. All those different factors that can play such an important role. Great. Thank you. What are your top three takeaways for people that struggle with diet and mental health and how we can improve our relationship towards it? Aim for that balance plate, because if you're doing that at every meal, you know, nutritionally speaking, you're on a way to a winner there that you're definitely getting um, what you need in your diet, which means you're nutritionally functioning in the right way. The second would be look at your lifestyle on a whole. Is there something missing? Is there something that's not quite right? Is it the sleep? Is it the activity every single day? Is that then affecting how you're feeling? Is it that you're miserable at work, which is where we spend most of our life? What can you do to enhance those factors instead of turning to food as a compensatory mechanism? Try and think about a change you can make in the pie. So draw out the pie and say you spend 20% of that pie thinking about food, or it could be a much larger percentage, and then you know what to tackle first. Is it that the sleep's causing the biggest problems because you're so sleep-deprived? That would take up more of the pie. So it's identifying what works for you. And then finally, do something positive for you that's related to food. Make it fun. Get some friends over. Do something that's going to change your association with it. So if you're someone that always eats alone, eat with friends, get something in the diary. I know we're living in a pandemic right now, so that's not as easy. But when it is, even do a virtual dinner. You can cook and sit down and eat dinner and talk to your friends. Make it social and fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. Did you know Heights started as a newsletter that I've written every week for years? I'm still doing it, and I'd love it to reach your inbox too. So, for weekly science-backed emails on the best ways to take care of your most important organ all in under three minutes, sign up at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. See you next week. Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is George Ezra and my name is Ollie MN and we are here to promote our new podcast Phone a Friend. Yes, once a week George and I will be chatting on the phone about our experiences with mental health and discussing how it affects our daily lives. Me and Ollie have been friends for quite some time now and have found that talking to one another about the ups and downs of our mental health has made a huge difference and we hope that we can encourage some of you out there to talk and listen to the people in your lives too. Yeah, um, but more importantly than that, I hope I can finally exploit my friendship with a celebrity um, and achieve money, fame, glory, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you look out for Phone a Friend wherever you usually get your podcasts.
and then we try and say phone a friend in unison again and probably fail. Phone a friend! Phone a friend! Phone a friend! Phone a friend! Come on! You can do better than that.